0: it seems like ultra running should be a very solitary sport right you think it's a you think you go out there and you're running on your own for hours which sometimes you are but it's very much a community and team sport because you're racing against people and everyone's helping each other out because you're racing the mountain often as much as that you're racing the person on the trail beside you
1: Hello and welcome to No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. This episode is sponsored by Great Outdoors, Ireland's premier outdoor retailer. You'll find them online at www.greatoutdoors.ie. You'll also find all the previous episodes of the podcast on their website or you can listen back on any of the usual platforms. In This podcast I'm joined by Irish international ultra trail runner and the North Face athlete Paddy O'Leary. Originally from Wexford, but now living in San Francisco and working in cancer biology research in the University of California. Paddy, welcome to the podcast.
0: Cheers. Thanks for having me here. Excited for the chat.
1: Now, you're back in Ireland for the screening of A Choc de Volia, Coming Home, a documentary you made about the Wicklow Round and your fastest known time for that, which was set earlier this year, which is kind of historical now. Can you tell us a little bit about your background?
0: Yes, yeah, so my background, I grew up in Wexford on a dairy farm, just uh, south of Brie, near Um Yeah, I grew up, my father was actually big into cross-country back in the day, so I did a little bit of cross-country, but never really got into it seriously. I was more built on the, the, the sports fields, playing hurling and football when I was in school, but then uh, and a little bit of horse riding and stuff like that. But then when I went to college, I got into lacrosse, and that was actually my main sport for eight years. So played lacrosse here and we're sitting in U City right now. So I uh, played lacrosse at UCD. City. That was like my formative sport in years, I think, where I really got into sport properly. Um so yeah, I played with the Irish team for eight years through to like twenty fourteen. Um, and yeah, loved that sport. it was uh it was got to try it was kind of where it kind of inspired my love to travel as well, because at the time we only had one lacrosse team in Ireland. So we set up the first team in Ireland and we established the first league. But to get games we had to fly Ryanair to different countries around Europe so it was kind of what triggered my love for travelling through sport which translated eventually to running
1: I'm not overly familiar with lacrosse I know what the game is what makes a good lacrosse player?
0: One of the beauties about lacrosse is many different body types can be good lacrosse players depending on the position you play But generally having high levels of fit, like I was a midfielder, so just having an engine of going up and down the field and just a hard work ethic and being able to kind of rough and tumble and get in involved in like millies of ball on the ground. Having an engine helps a lot. And then having skills from hurling like good hand to eye coordination as well. And being able to take a beating helps a lot as well because it's quite a physical game and I'm not a big fella. So if they couldn't catch me, they couldn't hit me was my approach.
1: Would you say it, it would suit a 5K or 10K runner more so than an ultra-distance runner?
0: It'd suit a, I'd say, 400-meter runner more than a 5K or 10K runner. It's like it's very short, fast bursts. If you have a, f- a fast 40-yard time, it's much more u- useful than uh, having a fast 5K or 10K time at lacrosse.
1: So what made you go from a field sport background to trying a trail run?
0: I was finishing my PhD here in UCD down at the Conway Institute. And there was a fella there by the name of Kieran Wine who worked in the lab beside me. And he knew I played lacrosse and he knew that he watched games and he saw it was just all we did was run. And he's like, lad, you need to come out and try one of these Imra races. This was early in 2013. And I went with him out to an Imra race. I went out to the first one in January in Hoth, 2013, and jumped into it in and pair of road, road runners and fell all over the place. But I ended up coming sixth, I think. Ended up doing that whole winter league and ended up doing well in some of the races, wearing my long lacrosse shorts and a cotton tee. Or actually, no, I think I was wearing a Brie Athletic Club singlet because my dad was involved in Brie. But really started to enjoy the, the mountain running. But soon after that, I was still playing lacrosse. I was still with the Irish team, so it was very much training for short, fast sprinting stuff um, because I was still playing lacrosse. But I moved to California soon after that and was still playing lacrosse over there. But I got involved in a uh, free fitness group called the November Project over in the US. And that group had a lot of runners involved. And, yeah, the uh, and actually that's where I ended up meeting the two filmmakers, uh, Ryan and Dylan, who helped make Coming Home, which we'll get to later. Got involved in this November Project running group just to meet people in a new city. And then through that, people were doing a bit of trail running in that group. And I remember my two or three races with Imra. And I don't know, I just uh, got the draw towards the hills and the mountains. I lived in San Francisco, so which is great mountains right outside of it. So it was a good way to meet people, but it was also kind of a new experience and a new adventure. And then I found out I was decent at it as well, so that helped a bit. Are you still playing lacrosse? No, and I tried to, for a few months, I tried to cross over playing lacrosse. And then it was as early 2015, I was starting to take running seriously. Like I signed up for my first 30K and my first marathon. Tried to do both of them for a few months and then realized it was kind of difficult to balance them both. So retired from lacrosse in like 2015. Retired from... In my last international tournament with Ireland was the World Championships in Denver in 2014.
1: So you represented Ireland in lacrosse and then you decided that you were going to do trail running. Yeah. So you more or less gave up something that you were excelling in yeah. to do something that you were experimenting in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when was your first proper ultra trail race?
0: First ultra trail, so... I'd say I'll go back to... My first trail, like, serious trail race was a 30K I signed up for in January 2015 back in California. And at the time, I was still very much winging it, but it was it did well in one or two races there. Like, won this, like, local 30K and won another one and set two course records. And that turned a few heads. And a fellow reached out to me, Matt Lay. He was an exercise physiology professor in San Francisco. And he was a very talented trail runner. And he was here, do you have a clue what you're doing? And I'm like, not really. And he said, would you like some advice? So he came on board and started giving me advice and coaching. And then through that, we, I signed up to do the Oakland Marathon in March 2015. And I signed up for my first trail race, which was the Ta- Trail Ultra, which is the Tahoe Rim Trail 55k in July 2015.
1: So the result you got was from your training rather than training for the result. That's probably down to the foundation that you had laid yeah, with yeah. the lacrosse. With lacrosse, yeah.
0: One thing, especially with lacrosse over here, traditionally when you have the sport and back in America, like as most American sports, they have maybe 10 people on the field, but we have a panel of 30 or 40. In Ireland, we had very little lacrosse players, so either 10 people would show up to the field and the games were 18 minutes. So as a midfielder, you were running up and down the field all day. So you'd cover 10 kilometers in the game. In, on terror, we could only get the really bad quality fields as well in a lot of the games around Ireland. So you're running 10 kilometers like cross country, basically. while lads are hitting you with sticks, so you're running a bit faster as well then.
1: What was the big attraction then going from the lacrosse to the ultra trail?
0: Something new, exploring my own personal boundaries. And like when I lived in Ireland, I think I didn't really appreciate the outdoors and what we had on our doorstep here. Moved to the States and then fell in with a bad crowd who were involved in this ultra running and whatnot. And through meeting people there, they started bringing me up to the marine headlines to run on the trails. And I just... It just opened my eyes to what it's like to use your two feet to explore the hills and explore the wilderness and the outdoors. And that's really what triggered me to get into ultra running and the longer races, but also the community. We have we've a very strong trail running community, similar to the Imra community here, a very strong trail running community in California. And that's really what solidified my love for the sport. It seems like ultra running should be a very solitary sport, right? Do you, you think you go out there and you're running on your own for hours, which sometimes you are. But it's very much a community and team sport because you're racing against people and everyone's helping each other out because you're racing the mountain often as much as that you're racing the person on the trail beside you.
1: Yeah, it's very friendly competition, isn't yeah, yeah. it? And people like to see others doing well. And, exactly. and like with records, people like to see records being broken so yeah. they can make an attempt on it yeah, again, yeah. like what you're probably planning on doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After you finished your first ultra trail race with that first place finish and you realize you were good at it, how did it feel going into the next one? Do you think that put a bit of extra pressure on you? The first time you were doing it, you weren't going out to actually win it. Yeah, that just happened because you had that skill and talent. But the next time it was expected,
0: and it's just like people were watching you. Did you yeah. feel that was a bit tougher mentally? No, because like to be honest, I wasn't going out to the next one. I wasn't expected to go go out to win it because uh, I've always. I think maybe coming from my lacrosse days, we played in world championships and that we were like, the Irish team was very amateur versus we were playing against USA and Canada. And I was always competing against, like I'd always aim to compete against the best I possibly can. And often I could end up being getting a drubbing that happened in lacrosse quite a bit. So my second ultra, I signed up for the US championships, which was one of the stoutest fields in the US that year. And the US is a very deep trail running community and uh, so i jumped into the u.s championships that year and like that was a race where i was trying to i knew if i got top 10 it would be a stellar result so it didn't feel a huge amount of pressure i to be honest, I really enjoy competition and i really enjoy like fierce and tight competition so um i was actually just really excited about just throwing down against people and having the crack doing that
1: yeah i've kind of noticed that with you you're kind of happy going into the race you always seem to be smiling yeah 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 even the ones that are kind of you know, take them with the snipers that you don't yeah, see them. Yeah. So you do always seem to enjoy it. Yeah. And that's an yeah. important part of it. Yeah. So when do you think you started to become a serious competitor?
0: I think actually in that first year, because like when I did the US championships, which actually it wasn't, a, I remember getting, I ended up coming tent in that. And then they were calling up the top 10 and they didn't call my name. And I go over to the race director. I'm like, sorry, sir, I think you missed my name. And it ends up being here. Oh, no, you're not a US citizen. So you're not eligible for an award. So I didn't get called up, but it was grand. I was the first Irishman there, the only Irishman in the race. But that year I signed up for my first 50 miler and the TNF North Face 50, which is arguably the most competitive 50 miler ADK in the world, and one of the fastest ones, jumped into that. And that just solidified my love for competition because I was racing against some of the best athletes in the world and thrown down against them and getting beaten heavily by some of them, but mixing up with a lot of fast lads. So um, that year I think I finished with a 13th in that in my first 50 miler. But mixing up with a lot of elites who've been doing this for a decade and who come from a very strong track and road background as well. So I think it was that first year I realized that this is something I could be really good at and it's something I should really focus in on. Because I firstly, I really enjoy it. I love being out in the mountains, but also I started seeing the opportunity to travel a little bit through it as well and to compete around the world in it too. My second year in 2016 was um, really when I kind of started to get some more breakout races, like podiuming bigger races and then being competitive like top 10 in some kind of world class races. And it wasn't until 2017 until I did my first international race.
1: Yeah, you really did just come out of nowhere because nobody really heard you on the running scene over here. And all of a sudden, your name was popping up on races o- over in the States. You were like the one that got away. Yeah. In 2018, you were selected to run for Ireland in the OAU itra Trail World Championships. How did you feel when that happened?
0: Yeah, it was a huge honor. Um, it's actually, it's funny that like in 2013, when I did the first couple of races, the Winter League with Marlon and Horton and all them, Mick Hanny from Anakura was, he introduced himself to me uh, when I did the Anakura race and he was here, Paddy, like you have a lot of raw talent here. You should consider doing the Irish trials that year. So in, back in 2013, Mick was like, Paddy, you, you have to come and do it. I think you'd, be, you'd have a stand a great chance. And I was going to do it. And then I found the dates yeah, of the same day as my brother's wedding. So I didn't end up doing it. So it's mad. Like five years earlier, I could have been involved if I had listened to McHaney or if I had a been a bit more lucky with dates. But then when I finally got selected for the team in 2018, um, where it was kind of made sense that I was able to come back and race in Penny Glossa, it was a huge honor. It was just every time you get to put on the Irish jersey because I, I was very fortunate that I'd experienced it before with lacrosse. And back then, we were putting on the Irish jersey, listening to the Aeron It was just a, a very proud moment. But also, I really wanted to integrate and get further and, because I had most done most of my running career in the US, I was really wanting to get involved more in the Irish uh, trail and running, career, uh, running scene and community. So it was, a, it was kind of a stepping stone to get more involved in the community back here, which was uh,
1: really cool. I think it was through Mick Haney that I first heard your name as well. He might have posted up something uh, makes, about makes, you. Makes my height, man. Yeah, well, he's doing a good job. Yeah. When you got to run on that team, had you met any of the other runners on your team beforehand?
0: No, no, that was the first time meeting uh, meeting Gavin and meeting uh, a lot of the other lads, meeting like Robbie and Greg, who were the managers over there.
1: And did you meet them for the first time when you got to Chamonix?
0: No, so that was in Peniglosa. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was in Peniglosa in two thousand and seven or 2018, um, in May 2018. And yeah, I met everyone for the first time in Dublin Airport that Thursday morning before the race.
1: And what was the race that actually got you selected for that team? So for that
0: one, I was very fortunate that... Um, I wasn't able to make it back for the trial race because I'd already been, I was coming, hopefully coming back for Pena going back for CCC, or no, going back for, um, that was 2018, I was planning to go, to travel back to Europe again later in the year. The lads let me use uh, one of the US-based races as a, as my trial effort, and I they used the um uh, 50k, which is a famous fast 50k, kind of similar profile, a little bit more climbing to, I think, the Morris Mullins might have been the... Uh, the qualifying race that year but it, it was a race where it's competing against some of the top talent from the u.s people who've like competed in world championships and done successful world had success in world championships in the u.s and that was a race that ended up coming third in that beating famous names like david laney and a couple other lads and um, so i think it was just the strength of that result and my itra ranking the selection committee took on board my itra ranking and whatnot to uh, let me not come back for the race in ireland just because financially and work-wise it'd be very challenging to come back for that
1: yeah well that makes sense to be using other races especially when they're against notable competition and in similar or tougher terrain now you mentioned the elevation of that race what do you think is your strength is it the distance or the terrain or is it both
0: so i keep selecting races that are in the mountains and on quite technical terrain with a lot of climbing i think my strength is probably faster flatter running but i just really enjoy the mountains i think i've got quite good high turnover so like it's one of my best race results uh that there's a fellow i don't know you may have heard his broadcast is mario frioli he's um he does a, he's like kind of one of the most renowned mines in trail around er, trail and road running in the u.s he's living in california and he was at he races cross-country with us and i did a cross-country race two years ago It was like a four mile flat race um, kind of our cross country in the US is much drier than over here. So it's more of a road race than a cross country race than you'd be used to in Ireland. Myself and a couple of ultra runners were mixing up in this whole cross country league. And we were throwing down pretty well and they were like, who are these ultra runners coming out of nowhere? But then so there's one of the famous teams there is called the, the the Hoka Aggies. They're like they usually routinely win the US club championships and whatnot their home race. Fast four-mile course, two two-mile loops on flat gravel track. The only elevation is two 20-foot bridges. And I jumped in and threw down against these lads. And they, usually they finish one through ten in their own race because it's their selection for the U.S. championships. I ended up kicking from about two miles to go. Uh, after two, because I'd done a couple of races and then uh, I got beaten in a sprint by these, by these fast track lads. So I said, fuck it, I'll go for it. And about two miles in, I said, I surged and ended up dropping the whole field and ended up winning this race which was, I think, it was a 4.2 mile race. And I think did I did it I I learned the sport in the US. So I use miles per, uh, use uh, uh, minute miles. So I think it was like 450 minute pace, maybe. And Mario was saying that's the best race he's ever seen me done. And that cross country might be my best talent.
1: So do you see it kicked at the start rather than at the end?
0: Kicked about halfway, which I don't think defines as a kick. I don't Both. know if that's the definition, Strate- but surged. Yeah, yeah
1: strategically, yeah. you did it before. Yeah. Somebody who might have a, have a short kick. Yeah, yeah, yeah You yeah, started and yeah. you probably wore their kick yeah, out before yeah, the finish line. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. that's a good. So I think
0: thing. that's actually I think so faster stuff might be the my most uh, my best strengths. Uh, I think climbing as well. Like on kind of Steve, one thing this year from like UTMB and whatnot, I just got very I think a very strong long power like power hike where I can like power hike for hours, um, and that's where I often gain a lot of ground in a lot of these mountain races. Uh, my biggest weakness so like fast flat terrain i've got a turnover on that and steep uh, power hiking my weakness is technical terrain and descending something i've been trying to work on a lot but it's i keep picking these technical races just because i really enjoy them and they bring you to beautiful places to do them as well so i think i need to get better at that
1: and the fast technical ascents are usually where a lot of these races are won so yeah, you must yeah. be making it up yeah yeah when yeah when you're on the flat any thoughts on the 100 kilometer road race
0: not yet. Robbie Britton, a British fellow living in Chamonix, reached out to me after I uh, did a fast road marathon last November. And he reached out to me after that. He said, oh, Paddy, would you, would you think about doing the 100-mile track race and seeing if you go for the Irish record? I'm not attracted to a track race of that length. You say 100-kilometre road race. You know one race similar to that that I am attracted to and would think I'm targeting in 2021 is Comrades. It's a race I would really like to do. Yeah, that would
1: be a good choice. It's harder to convince... A trail runner to go onto a track than it would be for an ultra track runner to go onto a trail like, the track is easier physically but it's harder mentally which will be the opposite with you the way the trail run is easy mentally because you can always see what you've achieved look around and so yeah, it's uh, just gone
0: yeah so i don't think uh, like a track a long track race doesn't attract me yet i'm sure it's something st- i often say things don't attract me and then a year later i'm psyched to do them but i think something like A long flat race, like road style race, I think if anything, I will do. I think I want to do, Comrades is one on my list that I want to do. And I think I might target it in 2021 because I think it's the 90th anniversary of that race as well.
1: That's probably a race that would really, really suit you. Now, you ran a 220 marathon in November of last year. It's
0: 2018. Did you know you could do that? I felt I could. I felt I could run a a 220 or something there, thereabouts. So I'd done, that was my fourth marathon but I signed up in 2015. I did a 245 in Oakland, um, which was like my first road race, really. And then that qualified me for Boston, and then I did Boston in April 2016, and that, that was, I effectively did it as a training run for my first 100K, the Canyons 100K was four weeks later. Jumped into Boston, ended up running a 2.37, and then went out and did a 20 mile training run the following morning, which was a big slog. Then he, that re-qualified for Boston again, so I went to Boston 2017 and did a 2.30, so I was doing all these seven minute PR increments. Uh, ran a 2.30, but still felt I had more in me. That was 2017. I didn't sign up for Boston again. I hadn't planned to do a road marathon in 2018. Uh, my goal was the North Face 50 miler, which is one of my favorite races. It's like effectively a 50 mile cross country race is the way we kind of look at it because it's so fast in the Mairead Headlands in California. That's mid November. And last year we, every time that time of the year, every year we starting to get a lot of bad, terrible forest fires in California. And the North Face 50 ended up being cancelled because of the campfire nearby last November in November 2018. But I was in the best shape of my life. I was planning to do really well in this race. And I'm like, oh, wait, I don't want to lose this shape because I built up great shape from cross country. And yeah, saw the California International Marathon was on, which is the U.S. Marathon Championships. Signed up for it and jumped into it two weeks later on 50 uh, mile mountain race training and I effectively the lead the two weeks leading up to that race the first two weeks in november i couldn't train because of the smoke and fire so i jumped in and did like one workout in a treadmill i think a three by three mile on the treadmill then the smoke lifted i did like a maybe a seven or eight mile tempo and then a week and a half later did see i jumped into cim and then ran a 220 and i, I actually entered that race and entering there with no expectation but entered with knowing that i thought i had the ability to run something like a 219 or a 220. But I also entered with no expectations. So I targeted the 2.19 from the start and went for it. And maybe around 20 miles in, I was still on course for like a 2.19. And then the legs slowed down a little bit. Because I think I just hadn't that long tempo training runs in me. I dropped from like 5.15 pace to 5.45 pace. Which was still faster than my previous PR for the last six miles. So I was still very happy and stoked on that. But ended ended up doing like a 2.20.30. Um, fully believed I could do it. Didn't expect myself. I left, I entered that race with no expectation, which was really nice.
1: I'm going to stop for words now. How did you know you could target 219 or 220 when you hadn't been training for a marathon? You wouldn't have had the usual performance indicators.
0: I kind of felt that some of the cross country results I had were performance indicators. I didn't have like a half marathon time or anything like that. But um, was compete like I was beating people in cross country that were 215, 216 marathoners or 105 half marathoners and it was beating them in cross four or five six mile cross-country races
1: but there's still a big difference though because they're stepping back down yeah. into the shorter distance where you're looking to step up to the longer one even yeah. though it's shorter than what you normally yeah. do
0: i think i don't know running too well so i think i didn't i didn't really understand that i hadn't uh, done the correct training the correct metrics for it so i think that kind of helped me a lot because i entered it completely unknowingly like i entered it blissfully unaware that i couldn't do that it didn't make sense that i would be able to run it and i think that helped me a lot
1: well my thinking is that you did it purely on your leg strength yeah and so you weren't actually using just your fitness yeah so you probably crossed the line knowing you maybe you could have kept going and done a 50k a yeah, 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 bit longer yeah, yeah that you didn't have the fast switch muscle fibers kind of developed in a way that you were able to collapse yourself over the finish line
0: yeah, definitely. I think the ultra training that I had from like earlier that year, I think I'd done the Lavaredo 120 in June and then did Worlds in the previous May and then did Pikes Peak Ultra in August. And I think I just carried a very good base through that. Like a perf- especially like the so training for Pikes Peak, I was doing a lot of tempos, like several mile tempos uphill. So I built a lot of strength through that and then started honing a little bit of speed work through cross country. So maybe I had the, the tempo strength from my summer training and then just honed it with a lot of speed work. Uh, throughout that autumn leading up to that 2.20.
1: Would you be tempted to take a step back from the trail and target a single marathon?
0: That was my goal. Um, Right after that race, I decided a few weeks later that I was going to target the, um, I thought at the time, 2.19 was the Olympic standard and I was here, I can run. I felt with specific training for a couple of months that I could run a 2.15, maybe a 2.14. And at the time, that was like the last couple of Olympics that would have got me to the top three. A month later, the IOC dropped it to 2.11 or 2.11.30, the qualification standard. And I'd been battling with this big internal battle about do I give up the mountains to focus on trail for six months? And I was willing or to focus on road for six months. And that was something I was willing to do. When they dropped it to 2.11, I was like, that's going to take a year or two of training, a very focused training to do it. I really enjoy road racing, but I love mountain training and I love exploring the mountains. So I realized that it kind of answered my question of mountain versus road. Um, I didn't want to put two or three years of my life into road racing because I love mountains.
1: But you found the transition from the cross across the trail running easy?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, cross country is just pure. Like, I wasn't training for cross country. I was training for mountain races. And the using La oh, lacrosse. Oh, lacrosse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, because I really enjoyed running in the mountains. Um, You're a scientist. Yeah. Do you apply the science to your training? Not particularly, actually, because it's kind of I find running is a nice respite and break from the science and whatnot and um, so personally i don't apply a huge amount of it but my coach matt, matt lay is an exercise physiology lecturer and so in structuring my training he applies a lot of it but i actually don't think into the, the science of it a lot so when he's structuring my training he'll like will use a lot of metrics from training for that but uh i try to be hands off and actually let him direct that and then he'll like kind of fill me in explain the scientific basis behind a lot of the sessions we do but I don't try to think into it too much because it kind of is my mental relief, release. Well, I suppose the
1: fact that you have a coach means you don't have to think about it because he does that part of the decision making process and that in itself is a big help.
0: Yeah. And I also feel like, I feel I'm still, (laughs) at times like I feel I'm still kind of a beginner runner because I'm only running five years and I don't think I can say that anymore, but I'll keep saying it as long as I can. So I still, I'm still learning a lot as well. So I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't have the basis to design my own training sessions myself because I don't trust my own knowledge of running because I'm not nearly experienced enough. So it's been really nice to work with someone that who is so experienced and is so knowledgeable in it. And, but the thing is, I have a great relationship with my coach, Matt, because uh, I like doing, like winging and doing a lot of adventurous style runs like the Wicklow Round, and then a few weeks later doing a 12K race like the Dipsy and then doing, doing UTMB. So doing a lot of range of races. Uh, he kind of allows me to tailor these adve- more adventures into my training as well.
1: Now I notice you're not wearing a watch, which makes me wonder: Do you you uh, measure your heart rate? Do you use that as a metric for training?
0: So we did actually. So I do, I do, I do wear a, I do use a, a watch, and I only actually got a watch with heart rate this year, but I haven't really followed it. Last year, in the lead up to Tnf50, and in the lead up to CI, to accidentally the CIM220, I was using a, I was using a, a heart rate band. And we were actually using all of my recovery runs. We were actually doing that at like 140, 150 uh, beats per minute pace, which was like just under seven minute pace. So it was actually did train, restructure my training and actually had me in the best shape of my life. So this next year, I'm going to go back into using heart rate again um, for like recovery runs and things like that.
1: So just to put that into context, your recovery pace was around seven minutes a mile and your race pace then for the marathon was? 5.10. That gives you an idea of what the difference could be because I find that a lot of people do their easy runs too hard yeah. and then they're not recovered enough to do their yeah, hard yeah, runs yeah, hard yeah, enough. Yeah. So they're kind of falling midway in between and they're never re- really recovered to work hard yeah, yeah, yeah. and training doesn't really go anywhere. Do you know what your VO2 max is?
0: Yeah, it was uh, disappointing, I think, is the best result for that, so myself, and I went over to Matt, he lives in Boise in Idaho, and I was lecturing over there, and I did a weekend there last summer, and uh, we went over and tested the VO2 max, and the lactate threshold, and the body fat, and all that, and I did the VO2 max, and it was like 63, and I was very underwhelmed by it, I thought I was going, because I had friends who I think I was just as fit as, who were up in the 70s and low 80s, and i don't know maybe my vo2 max is 63 but i kind of feel one thing i was very scared to run on the treadmill because like running that pace i think i might have bailed out a little bit early but i think maybe my vo2 max maybe isn't that isn't isn't much higher but i hope it is but my lactate threshold was um ended up being uh i thought kind of impressive we did it over running not cycling and i think my lactate threshold was like 510 515 pace something in around there and so i think that's maybe where my strength lies maybe not in the volume like my, my vo2 max like my kind of engine here it's more my ability to suffer at high paces at high speed
1: yeah and the lactate threshold is the more important yeah. indicator the vo2 max isn't the be all and end all yeah. it can be used to predict performance but maybe it could be the size of your engine you could be very much aerobically developed and yeah. it's not having the same effect on yourself you travel a lot how does that affect your training
0: I travel quite a bit but actually because of my full-time job as well you travel a lot yeah yeah i think training has been impacted by like just having a full-time i think uh, the last three months i've traveled a lot which i'll get to now in a second but just even over the last two or three years just having the full-time job as well trying to like i race against a lot of people who are doing 110 120 130 mile weeks which i think to honest i would lose the passion for running if i was running at, if i was doing that amount of volume but um often at the peak of my training, I'm only able to do 70 or 80 mile weeks because just having time at a full-time job. I used to have a, like a full-time science uh, career. So that's like Monday to Friday, maybe nine to six. Not two. It's academia, so I've got a little bit of freedom to throw trainings in the middle of the day. I was also leading this fitness group, the November Pudding San Francisco, which was three mornings a week, like six to eight. So that was a big, another big chunk of my week gone. So fitting the training in around that, that was quite challenging. Then this year I was like, oh, what if I dedicate more time to running? So I took three months leave from work uh, in October, November, December, so I could travel and race. Cause one thing actually, tra- I was lucky to travel to many places around the world to race, but you're landing in uh, like I went to Hong Kong in January to do a race going to Asia for the first time. And uh, flew out Tuesday night, landed Wednesday night, was there in Hong Kong for two days, didn't really get to travel or explore because you're sitting in a hotel room trying to rest. Ran all day Saturday, flew home Monday morning to work Monday. And I'm like, wow, I traveled all the way across the world, but didn't get to experience the place I was in properly. Uh, so I took this three months of leave to travel and race in South America and South, South Africa. So actually I've been traveling a lot this last, uh, these last few weeks. And uh, it was a great way to see the world but then I was doing such period I was traveling to a place and then moving on to a new place three days later and I think it wasn't optimal for my training I think it was actually nice having a so I think traveling so much kind of hinders the training quite a bit because you don't have like a structured day in a sense but also you don't have like your platform your local area where you want to train you don't know your trails you don't know your hills you don't know the suitable places to work out also maybe I'm meant to be doing I'm I was in Patagonia for five weeks, and I was meant to be doing three recovery days a week, where I'd do double recovery runs or something. But I'm in the middle of Patagonia, and i would kind of run up the mountain instead to see this beautiful trail I wanted to see. So, it was not ideal it's for awesome. my training, but great for my stoke and memories. sightseeing so in a hurry. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I just want to go back to something you mentioned there about uh, training volume. What did you say your volume is per week?
0: Uh, ranges throughout the year, depending on the race I'm tra- um, training for, like. My peak volume coming up to, say, UTMB this year was maybe a 90-mile week. But that would be a 20-hour week. So, like, I would be doing a six-hour Saturday and a six-hour Sunday. So, that was, like, maybe a 90-mile week was my peak 95-mile week. But it could have been a week with 30,000 feet, 10, like, eight 9,000 meters of climbing.
1: So, that's volume but includes a lot of resistance and intensity so yeah that's a really tough week so that 90 mile week could be the equivalent of a marathon runner running 150 miles a week yeah yeah, yeah. like that's that's a lot so you must be in really good shape to be able to absorb the impact of that
0: but i think because well, a lot of the volume though would be a lot of like going out into the mountains or just playing around the mountains where, like a lot of it would be hiking and whatnot as well like in terms of time of the feet, it's a lot but i think it was Kind of, it's not the same repetitive strain of mar- of marathon level running, but maybe it does relate like the the 90 mile, the heavier, because it's still a 20 hour week. Yeah, it's 20 plus hours. I'm gonna go back to the traveling again. How do you sharpen up after a long flight? So I'll use long socks and whatnot when I'm, I'm going out, and then sharpening up. um So generally, I try landing like five or six days before a race. Always like the Tuesday and Wednesday, I might have a little bit of a speed workout. Um, or three days out of a race like doing a two or three mile tempo close to the race because um, generally that doesn't wear the body down really that much but it sharpens the body up so I'll always like off a of flight I might do a recovery run the next day I'll probably do a speed work if it work out if it's three or four days before the race
1: do you have any travel tips for somebody going to a race such as what, we, what would you bring in your
0: carry-on in terms of like travel tips so I'd definitely like I'd bring I'd be wearing long socks and whatnot to just to reduce that swelling I'd bring a big water bottle and just drink a lot of water and get a lot of fluids into you. And then, yeah, if you don't have a pillow, bring your puffy jacket so you can actually have a decent pillow so you can actually sleep for a lot of it.
1: And would you bring your racing kit onto the flight with you?
0: Racing kit, Jersey, like your, have your racing kit and your gels if you're going for a long race, your gels as well.
1: And wear your trail shoes with, as yeah, well, yeah, you yeah, just yeah. in case, yeah. Have
0: your whole kit and have your uh, have your pack as well. Because I've had a lot of people like going to races and they lost their whole kit and they're trying to scramble around Chamonix to look for their whole setup. The day before the race or the week before the race and you
1: never know and yeah. you, know, you can't bore your way out of a problem when yeah, you're halfway yeah. around the world
0: so like having the trail shoes having your full kit having your pack and then having your uh having your gels as well because like if you're going to a random place that doesn't have the gels you like because you don't want to try something new on race day so that's a big like nutrition is one of the biggest things that just you need to have that dialed and if it comes to the week at a race and you're not able to get the nutrition you're used to you'll be in a bad a bad way
1: as you mentioned, gels nutrition during a race is something that's very personal. Can you give me an idea of what, what you will take with you for, we'll say, an 80 kilometer trail race?
0: 80 kilometer trail race. So, I try to be quite calorie dense. I think I'm usually targeting about 300 calories an hour. So, an 80k trail race, uh, generally, I'd carry on my aim for like even if I could two gels an hour um, and then add aids. and then I would also use of get some supplementary calories from either scratch or i'm with goo now at the moment so from roctane i would generally take like generally in my pack i'll have two 500 mil bottles and I've one would have roctane just calories and one with just pure water and uh, i would use that as kind of to make the, the 200 to 300 calories as well and then when i stop at eight stations i'd get a lot of orange slices into me and try to take a bit of solid food on board
1: now, the fact that you're saying you take that many calories per hour that makes me think that you are going at a high intensity throughout like from the moment that race starts i think it, like, you're not taking selfies along th- the way you're no just, we're going off the you're you're like, going
0: it. yeah like for example utmb we were starting at six minute miles uh to start the 100 mile race for the first 10k which is mad like and, and i'm still like there's people 20 seconds ahead of me yeah uh, uh, so like no we're going out hard because you are you're battling get to get onto the single track in a good position as well
1: a lot of people would say they don't take gels in their in races, but I think that to me, it's intensity dependent. If you're walking, you don't need them. And once you get above a certain pace, when you start, to you're, you're burning that and you have to replenish it or else you're going on empty.
0: Ultra running is a race of consumption, more so than the race of running at times. That's consumption of both fuel and water. I say that and like it worked. My my fueling strategy worked very well for me until this year. And I don't know what it was. Like this year, I started having my first GI problems in races in, in UTMB. And I don't know whether it was because I pushed to this long distance or maybe I pushed the limit a bit too far about trying to take too many gels or not mixing it up more. So this year, I actually had my first like stomach issues in a race, uh, UTMB about 50K, or that's 60, 70K. And I had my first puking issue. And then but rallied out of that and lasted to like 120 and then it happened again at like uh Bonatti, i think so then i was on coca-cola the rest of the race but coca-cola can be a lifesaver as well but it burns off so quickly So the calories you take on board with coke if you drink a, a serving of coke or 500 mils of coke 20 minutes later you're calorie depleted again
1: yes yeah, it's like putting a piece of paper onto a fire yeah yeah you, exactly uh, it, it's gone and um, when well, you mentioned a puke in there you probably puke the problem up it was probably that the gel was congealing in your stomach yeah. and wasn't passing through. I, to be so honest, I think... So sometimes that can happen when your intensity isn't matching, like the flame of the intensity isn't matching the rate at which you're burning yeah. the fuel.
0: Well, I think I know exactly what happened uh, when that issue happened. I got it, I came into, I can't remember the name of the aid station. It's, uh, oh, it begins like 50K into the aid station, middle, of, or into the race, middle of the night, or 60, 70K in. And we were going into the path, uh, over de la sande there's like a 20K, gap in the middle of the night where you have no aid stations and got into the and this is something that we could all learn from i get into the aid station i'm like oh right i need to prepare for the next 20k so i finished my bottles filled them up had a water had a water had a coke had a coke and it was carbonated coke they hadn't fizzed it out and uh, that just turned to stomach i tried to put too much into my body too quickly and i puked up immediately and that like took me a whole step back in the race and I I was like recovering I was in damage control mode then for the next hour or two to get my calories that I lost back into me so that's something a mistake I made and I've learned from that mistake
1: now for next time but you suffered and kept moving forward
0: yeah I could still run I could still walk and that's the one thing, that race uh, in UTMB this year, every year there's carnage, there's a lot of people drop out. and I was having stomach issues, I was feeling bad for myself, but I'm like, still even if I walk it in, I'm going to be doing a 28, 27, 28, 29 hour, and uh, end up running a 26 hour UTMB. There's still people who are going to be out there another 16, 17 hours. They're out there for two nights, and if they can muscle through and get that done, I oh, should be able to get it done too. So I was like, I'm not injured, I can still move, I'm going to finish this race.
1: Yeah, we should nearly underline that comment. Yeah. And that's there's no point in feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah. Just get get the Jip job done.
0: Yeah, you're here to you're here to get across that finish line first and foremost. Do you use walking poles?
1: Yeah, hiking poles, yeah. And um, would you recommend walking poles?
0: It depends on the race. So like a race under fifty K, I wouldn't use walking poles because I think you like they will slow you down on your climb. The beauty but well, the great thing about hiking poles is they allow you to use different muscle groups and use different part of your body when you climb and you're able to climb for longer without getting tired, but they do slow you down a bit. So if you want to be in the fast competitive end of a race, and if it's less than 50 K I wouldn't use it for something like UTMB with a lot of steep, long climbs, they're a necessity.
1: Now, what advice would you have for somebody thinking about starting out in trail running or running in general?
0: Take your time progressing through the distances, especially with like, and to be honest, I, like in a year and a half, I went from a 30k to 100k, and that was probably a little too quick. But when I got to 100k, I realized, pushing a bit too far, I'm not going to jump to 100 miles. And then I waited three years before I did my first 100 miler. I said, no, I want to figure out the 50k to 80k distance, and went and did a few more of them over the coming years. So don't rush it. It's a huge thing. Early on, start practicing your fueling and uh, kind of learn what your stomach likes, because it's such an important part of it. But first and foremost enjoy it like you're out there just take in every moment you, ha- you can when you're out on the trails because not many people in this world get the chance to go out or realize that we have mountains and trails to go out there and enjoy and i think that moment when you realize that you've mountains and are fun to get out into it's a great moment and it's really enjoy and make the most of that when we can
1: yeah and don't take for granted what you have in your doorstep yeah exactly yeah everywhere is uh, within reach here now i'm conscious of the time but let's get back to what you're actually here Earlier this year, in April, you set the fastest known time the FKT for the Wicklow Way round. It didn't last for too long, no. unfortunately, but you beat one that hadn't lasted too long either. How was
0: that? So yeah, I went back to do the Wicklow round as a kind of a platform to discover home, as we just said. Yeah, I don't realize It's great to when you realise what's on your own doorstep. I lived in Dublin for eight years and never realised the Wicklow Mountains there. I drove by those ro- the, those hills many times, gone from Wexford to Dublin, and yeah, the Wicklow round is a great opportunity to run every mountain there in a day. So it was an amazing experience. It was my first time doing a navigation effort. So it, the previous Christmas, myself and current record holder, Gavin Byrne, picked up a compass and we were out wrecking it together Christmas of 2018. So that was a, that was a fun learning experience over the, the next couple of months, learning how to do the round or sorry, learning how to orienteer, And then, yeah, jumping back and doing the round is a great experience. I had a rough weather day out there which was uh, I think really added to the experience to be honest because I'm going back to experience Ireland Ireland is terrible weather so it was really nice to have that in the day even though it slowed me down a little bit but it was really cool to be able to take Joe I took 45 minutes off Joe's record that day even with the with the terrible weather so that was really that was a really cool experience to have but also doing it with like the support of the Imra community and a lot of people helped me out on that day and out supporting in that day it was really like I really felt well that was I think that was the moment between that and World Championships where the moments I've really felt, yeah, I've come back and I'm part of the Irish mountain running community now, even though I live in California. Yeah, that's
1: a good story. Yeah. Now, with not living locally, you didn't have the time to recce the route the same as somebody else would, even though you said you went out around December. That's not enough. Somebody who's, who's hiking in the Wicklow Mountains every weekend can still run into difficulties when the mist comes down because things change, the environment changes. So how did you find that? Like, were, were you confident starting the... Challenge. yeah
0: so i'd got a lot of like advice online just talking like greg Byrne helped me out a huge amount of met up with greg and ian keith as well and uh, and Karina and, G- and gab and everyone that i'd studied the maps a huge amount like google maps looking at different like routes to go through the forestry which could be inaccurate because that changes every year um i'd reckoned about a third of the course at christmas and a third of the course leading the week leading up to the round attempt so i was far from tapered going into it but uh yeah, I just knew the bearings I wanted to do. I had the list of bearings I was going to take and I was going to trust them above all, even in the midst of the fog. And on the round day, we had about 10 hours of thick fog for the, the start of it and very high winds and it was wet. At least it wasn't raining though. Um, made a few misnavigational mistakes, but was able to cr- realize that I was going down the, following the wrong, I was following the wrong bearing down the contour, or, like, I think my first, like, big mistake was coming off of a Lugnaquilla down into Glen Millor. I went into the... I ended up getting stuck in the forestry for a bit. Um, but I ended up making it out of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just a fun experience, like, challenged my, my, my body and my mind to that. And it's fun when you realize you've made a mistake and then you adjust your bearing and you, you see... It's kind of you realize that, oh, wait, I can actually use a compass and map now and I can recognize all of the... Mountain, or I can recognize all of the features around me to get myself back on track using the map, which is really cool.
1: How did you cope with the weather? Has San Francisco made you soft with the weather?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think it has. Uh, it was funny, actually. So San Francisco, we've been undergoing a terrible drought for a couple of years until it was like early this year. We actually got a lot of really good rain started coming back again this spring. So actually a lot of my training was out in pretty shit, uh, terrible rain and fog in the mountains of San Francisco around San Francisco but the terrain wasn't very similar to Ireland so I wasn't able to practice on bogs and things like that and on open mountain a lot of our stuff was more bushwhacking so the weather was actually reasonably trained for just the terrain I wasn't trained for
1: And how did you kit yourself out for this race compared to say the UTMB?
0: Uh, So I wasn't using for the Wicklow round I wasn't using poles and whatnot I'm lucky like as a race with the North Face and uh, they're like some of the best apparel there is out there the I was wearing a rain jacket, but it was very useful in the in the, the fifty kilometre hour or sixty kilometre hour winds we had. And yeah, just it's just a good quality pack and good quality pair of trail what shoes. What
1: trail shoes were you wearing? what are your favourite trail shoes?
0: Yeah, so I was using the North Face Flight Trinity for that one. They drain well. So that was very useful in the bogs. That's and a good whatnot. feature. Yeah. Which is very useful. And they're uh they don't like the muck doesn't stick to them too badly so they will not cake up too too bad so A shoe that drains well
1: is important yeah. in the conditions we have because yeah. the a Gore-Tex shoe will keep your foot dry yeah it's not the water getting in but if yeah. the water goes over the top yeah it stays in it won't yeah. get out again yeah so that's when it's you know getting your feet a little bit wet it's a bit of discomfort but they won't be as wet as if you're going kind of running around with a yeah, puddle yeah, inside yeah, you yeah yeah
0: so uh, yeah that was a very useful resource there and what about your backpack um, North Face Flight Backpack, so uh, it's a light pack, uh, it doesn't have a huge volume, but to be honest, I don't really often carry uh, in terms of like in, in the rear. But that's good for racing because we tend to travel as light as you can, you whether it's UTMB B. or whether it's the Wicklow round.
1: So you just carry the minimum, minimum required, yeah, yeah. Before we finish up, can you remind me again of why you were here?
0: Well, definitely, like, so we were saying, like, why I'm here is because we're here to premiere the, the coming home movie tonight. Uh, I've got Sitting behind me, we've got Dylan Ladds, one of the filmmakers with me, him and Ryan Scurra. Yeah, this film, this was a project we decided to do about two or three years ago. Ryan came back from, he was at a wedding down in Cork. Like he, me and him live in San Francisco and Dylan lives on the East Coast of the US. And uh, Ryan came back from a wedding and said, Paddy, we need, I just went out in the reeks. We need to go back and do a film because they were filmmakers to do a film in Ireland about the, and like I told him a lot about the Irish trail running community that I experienced a little bit. And we got to go back and do it. So we decided we were going to go back in like 2018 to attempt to do we were going to do. It was mad at the start. We were planning to do the Wicklow Round, the Rankin Round, and set up a week's round all in the space of three weeks. We soon realized that that's a completely idiotic uh, thing to try to do. We came back in 2018 to do kind of a little recce trip. Ends up the week we were back. Joe McConaughey was here that same week setting his record for the Wicklow Round. Uh, so we're like, oh, wait, the record just got substantially harder to beat as well. But still, yeah, we came back to do it. But um. The film itself is less about the Wicklow Round and about my attempt at the Wicklow Round. It's more about telling people about the great trail running community we have and the great atmosphere we have in the trail running community. And as we referred to earlier about how supportive everyone is, whether you're doing a Wicklow Round or whether you're doing a race. So that's something we're hopefully that we think the film really describes. And we're hoping because we've got into a couple of film festivals, it's going to travel around the world on the Trails Emotion Motion Film Festival to 20 countries, I think. And like 20,000 people will see it. That's 20,000 people are going to see how great how beautiful ireland is for trail running we're hoping that's going to attract more people to come to ireland and actually visit the place and get out in our hills and do our races and things like that also we're showing in dublin the next two days and we're showing it in cork and up in newcastle we're almost at christmas we're hoping that our little wickler round film is going to get a lot of people to sign up to do the Wicklow round next year or to attempt to do the Wicklow round because i think myself and gavin hadn't picked up a compass prior to december last year i think a lot of people get really intimidated with the round uh because of the orienteering aspect with a little bit of work I g- i think it's just people need to drop the the fear of attempting it and just get out and try something like that or try using a compass or try an orienteering race because it's definitely within it's within people's grasp and uh, we just got to try it
1: yeah i'm all for that myself cut away the drama just get out there and try it and for anyone that doesn't know the imra wicklow round it's a long distance run covering a lot of the peaks in wicklow i think it's a uh, 26 peaks a distance of over 100 kilometers, and it's over 6,000 meters of climbing and must be completed within 24 hours to be recognized as a round attempt. The rules, regulations, which are all kind of common sense and just for fair play, can be seen on the IMRA website, www.imra.ie. You'll also see a list of the mountains, grid references, and anything else that might help you along the way. Okay, Paddy, we'll finish it up now, and we'll I suppose get ready for the screening. But before we do, Will the film be available online maybe next year? Or where can somebody who can't make the screening get to see it?
0: So the film, we're going to release it online. We haven't decided whether it'll be YouTube or Vimeo sometime in 2020, probably throughout the summer into later 2020. But if you don't make the screenings here before Christmas, we're actually going to be showing, I think, at the Killarney Mountain Film Festival in March and then also the Trail of Motion Film Festival, we're trying to actually organize a screening here in the summer for that so it's one of four movies on that also we've been accepted onto the kendall film festival tour so to be honest, I don't know the locations that's going to be but look out for it in 2020
1: well originally you had two screenings here and they both sold out so you had to put on another one yeah i'd say if anybody is interested maybe keep an eye on the yimra website and you know book it as soon as it comes out okay paddy thanks very much and i look forward to seeing the film
0: cheers thanks very much thanks for the chat